Welcome to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Badass Direct Sales Mastery is a podcast for rock star direct sales moms who are determined to make their business kick ass. Jenny will share her knowledge of effective sales and recruiting techniques, tips to get what you want from your business, and will interview direct sales professionals and leaders from various companies. The interviews will give insight to how these rock stars got to where they are and where they plan to grow in the future. And now, the direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Direct Sales Mastery. My name is Jenny Bellinger. I am your direct sales dom, and I am here with a really cool guest. Uh, For those of you who maybe have been living under a rock for the last two or three years, you may not have heard of Enneagram. I know I hadn't heard of it until about maybe 18 months ago, had no idea what it was. And ever so slowly, I've been introduced to it uh, more and more over time. And I was introduced to Elizabeth Worm uh, a couple months ago and finally was able to get her on the podcast to share her with you guys today, because the Enneagram is a really great way for you to begin to understand yourself and those around you in order to have more effective communications, sales, relationships, it's useful in so many different ways. So let me introduce you to Elizabeth. She is a life coach who offers Enneagram infused coaching and group workshops for artists, leaders, and organizations. The Enneagram is a personality tool used for growth and self-awareness. She has led trainings, taught workshops, and facilitated discussions in corporate, nonprofit, and educational settings. Her experience is in theater, improv, and arts management, which led her to complete her master's thesis on the Enneagram as a tool for leadership in the arts. And what's really fun is so much of this is a major part of what we do in direct sales and network marketing. So I'm really excited to introduce you guys to Elizabeth. So welcome to the show. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Yay. Um, I am so happy to introduce everybody to you because like I said, unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably at least heard of Enneagram, but you may not know what it is, how it can be used, what it's for. Um, And so I wanted to be able to share your knowledge, your experience with it, with the audience so that they can potentially then connect with you um, to take their experience, their knowledge further. If they've, maybe they've already typed themselves, or maybe they went to one of those free surveys, you know, online, which may or may not be accurate. I don't know because I don't know where they're going, but I think it's really important for people to have an understanding of what it is. So let's start with that. What is the Enneagram? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, the Enneagram is a dynamic system. So it does look at, um, our personalities. Um, however, it doesn't pigeonhole us into one personality. It's actually pretty ancient. The idea of there are nine archetypes, ways of being in the world. And those nine types date back, I don't know, I've heard up to 3,000 years. There are signs of them being used in Greek literature, in um, Asia, Europe, the Middle East. Actually, the modern Enneagram was developed by practitioners in South America who then brought them to California in the 1970s. So um, it's kind of a combination of work by um, George Gurdjieff, who was a practitioner in Russian Armenia, 
back in the 1940s. And then he traveled to Chile where he met Oscar Icazo and Claudio Norano. And they are kind of the fathers of the modern Enneagram um, where they kind of took his work of these nine archetypes basically. And each archetype basically says, we all have a core fear and a core desire that when combined create a motivation for most of our behaviors. And when we take a look at what we're driven by, you can kind of predict how our behaviors are. And so there have been a lot of layers added on by different practitioners, therapists, priests, psychologists, and you know, it really does pair really well with different cognitive psychology theories, some of Brene Brown's work. I mean, you can use it in combination with spirituality, in combination with the corporate world and leadership. So there's really no end to what you can use it with. But when you come down to its core, the theory is that we have um, our ego. In, in, psych- in psychology, we have an ego, which um, doesn't mean we're all arrogant pricks, but it means <laughs> that we have um, this this false personality, this this personality, kind of like a coat of armor that we're wearing, and we're walking through the world. It's developed. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing either. It's just it just is. We walk through the world with our ego. It protects us and it helps us get our needs met. It helps us make our way through the world, and. The ego is formed based off of how we're kind of wired. It's also formed with some environmental factors. No one really knows if you're kind of born with things or if it's all environmental. It's kind of a combination, in my opinion, of nature versus nurture. And um, it is made up of our feeling center, our thinking center, our doing center. So we have in our brain, we have three areas um, that control our feelings, our thinkings, and our doings. (laughs) I like to say we have like a gut instinct we have a limbic system that um, controls our, our emotions. And then we have our prefrontal cortex that controls our thinking, you know, where we can be aware that we're thinking about thinking, like those types of thoughts. Um, and so the Enneagram basically says we have, we all have a feeling center, thinking center, thinking center. And we have these um, instincts of how we move through the world to get our needs met, to be accepted by society, to gain love or acceptance or approval or safety, what happens is we get off balance. Um, There is some sort of childhood wound that we perceive. Um, It doesn't mean that someone directly abused us, or it doesn't mean that we were neglected as kids. Um, It just means that we kind of focus on certain things and we miss other things. And so the things that we've missed end up creating this wound, this gap. Um, It could be that your needs won't be taken care of, that you have to fend for yourself. Or it could be your needs aren't important. You need to focus on everyone else's needs in order to survive. Mm. Um, It could be you have to perform in order to be accepted um, because your true self is not enough. Little things like that, that, you know, I doubt that someone said to you when you're three years old, <laughs> um, but things that we've just kind of gleaned as, as children. And so somewhere in there, our, one of our centers feeling, thinking, or doing um, got wounded. Um, and we started operating through life with two of the centers working overtime um, and the third center kind of hanging back. And for a while that works for us. Um, We make our way through the world um, and we kind of find, oh, if I do X, Y, Z, then that equals 
love, or if I do X, Y, Z, that equals safety. Um, what is hard though, is when that stops working for us <laughs> and we find ourselves in the same place again, um, you know, experiencing another failure, experiencing another rejection, experiencing another betrayal, experiencing another um, disconnection. And we're wondering what the hell went wrong? Why do I keep finding myself in this same habitual cyclical pattern? And so what the Enneagram does is it actually shows you, hey, you, it doesn't tell you that you're in a box. It says, hey, actually, here's the box you've been living in and you can step out of it if you want to. So here's kind of the, the lie you've been believing. Here's the fear that's been driving you. Here's the center that you're not using. If you are interested, I mean, you can keep going. If this works for you, you keep going. But if you're interested, you can start to explore um, other lenses of being in the world. What do the other eight types have to do? Um, how do they make their way in the world? Um, the fear that I believe, is it always true? I mean, sometimes it it is confirmed and we believe that that is true, but is it always true? Maybe there's some exceptions to the rules. Maybe leaning into vulnerability, taking a chance, taking a risk on a relationship, on a job, um, on an idea. Maybe that's out of our comfort zone, but it could lead to more joy or connection or belonging. Um, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability. Our ego hates vulnerability. Our ego's job is wired to protect us from ever being vulnerable. Um, but as Brene Brown talks about, we cannot experience true intimacy or connection without vulnerability. I mean, think about like a, a romantic relationship, for instance. You have to take a risk somewhere in there if you're ever going to experience true knowing, belonging, intimacy. Um, your ego is going to be like, don't share that story. Don't show that part of yourself. You won't be loved or you won't be accepted. Um, they'll leave you, um, you know, and that's the ego saying that to try to protect you. Um, but when we can discern, we can, we have a choice. Um, we can discern that we have a choice and we can decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take a risk here, or maybe this is not the time to take a risk. We then take control back of our lives. We have some autonomy. Um, rather than just allowing ego to be in the driver's seat of our car and the ego is like, nope, we're not getting off on that exit. That says romantic relationship and I'm not getting off there. <laughs> um, we switch sides with the ego and we sit in the driver's seat and we thank the ego for its warnings. Um, but then we have the decision. We can discern if it's something that we want to embark on um, or if we want to pass. Amen to that. Um, what? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, seriously, it, I don't mean to interrupt. And at the same time I do, because I think that's a really powerful thing for people um, to pull out from this is to understand that so many of us are really, truly being driven by our fears. Yes. Right. And really think of it in those terms, driven, like literally fear is in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, if you want confirmation of this, if you want to read about that guys, I've not read any of Brene's stuff, but one of my favorite books that, that really addresses this and, and some of how to get around it is uh, a book by Mark Manson called everything is fucked <laughs> where he talks about, um, you know, fear and feelings really being in the driver's seat and, and mm -hmm. primarily, yes, it really is fear most of the time. So if you are tired of being driven in your life by fear, mm -hmm. which is stressful, mm 
yeah. it doesn't feel good once you realize that that's what's going on utilizing this information, this, this Enneagram typing to begin to understand parts of yourself to be able to then overcome and more easily step over and around these fears. And like, as you said, I love how you said it, thank them for the warnings and acknowledge that the warnings are there, but realize it's not courage. If there isn't a little bit of fear involved, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, to take that step forward. So in, in doing the Enneagram, how, how did you get started? Um, you know, how did you become familiar with it and, and what really drew you to want to help others with this? Yeah. So I have been a Myers-Briggs fan. That was my first love. Um, I, I discovered Myers-Briggs when I went through a breakup in college and I realized, you know, I was a super extroverted person. He was a super introverted person. And it's not that, you know, introverts and extroverts can't be together, but we had a lot of um, compatibility issues and it just, it, we realized that we were not going to be going the same way in life. And so we, we parted um, amicably, but it was still a really sad time. And I was just so um, amazed. My mom actually explained the difference between how people get their energy and, you know, extroverts being recharged by being around people and introverts being recharged by alone time and, and being able to think their own thoughts. And that, that just that idea alone struck me that not everyone is the same, that everyone could have a different way of being in the world and it doesn't make them wrong or rude or bad, <laughs> but they're just different. They have different needs. And I had been trying, pulling, pulling teeth, this poor introverted man, <laughs> trying to get him, you know, to hang out with me more. And I was just draining him. But then when he could disappear for a week, I was, I felt so unwanted, um, which, you know, learning my Enneagram type later, I was like, wow, that was a major trigger for me. Just feeling unwanted is, is a really, really scary feeling for me. Yeah. So, um, so that's how I found Myers-Briggs. And then I found the Enneagram um, through reading about more personality theories and, and things like that. When I started actually using the Enneagram, because I think I, I found out my type um, quite a few years ago, but I didn't do anything with it. When I, um, I got a new job, um, you know, a few years back and I had a boss who I um, felt like we were just disconnected. And no matter what I did, no matter how helpful I was, no matter how cheery I was, no matter how supportive I was, like I felt this disconnect that either she didn't like me or she didn't trust me or something was off and I could not pinpoint it. And I, I've worked in so many different industries and I've held a lot of different positions and I'm a pretty outgoing, adaptable person. And I was, I couldn't break through. I was like, why can't, why can't we work? in a good way, you know, together, this is so weird for me. And so I turned to the Enneagram. I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can figure out her type. Now, you know, we're not supposed to type other people because here's what's different about the Enneagram versus Myers-Briggs because Myers-Briggs takes into consideration your behavior. How do you process information? How do you make decisions? Things like that. The Enneagram actually considers your motivation. So why do you process things the way you process them? Um, and that gets down to your fear, your desires, your wounds, your, um, your feelings, things like that. And so, however, um, when people are living in a pretty average 
to unhealthy space, um, we can be pretty, our behaviors can look pretty predictable because um, we're not living in a self-aware growth oriented space. So I was reading through um, my first Enneagram book was Richard Rohr's um, book on the Enneagram. And I was reading through and when I found, I read a chapter and I found my boss in the pages of this book (laughs) and I was just reading and I, it just, it was so astonishing to me because I never, ever considered that someone could walk through the world with the fears that she had, with the desires that she had, with the priorities, you know, seeing the world through her eyes gave me so much more empathy and compassion, a little more patience. And I just realized, I was like, oh, this is, these are the things that are important to her. And obviously, like, if this is what's important, you're going to spend your time focusing on that and missing other things, which I'm doing the same thing. I've, and I, (laughs) Was I read the chapter on my type and it talked about how my type uses helpfulness to try to ingratiate themselves and get, get support and be liked. And they just want to be liked by people. And that's, I literally was trying to use the Enneagram to be liked by my boss, <laughs> which was so stereotypical of me um, because I was so afraid of being rejected. I was afraid of um, if she didn't like me, and we wouldn't be able to work together in a symbiotic, harmonic way. Um, and therefore, my needs wouldn't be met. My job, I would lose my job. I would be penniless on the street. I mean, you can just go and go and go with all the things that can go wrong there, you know, which is that anxiety. So what I ended up realizing, because with the Enneagram, the most important work you can do is for yourself, on yourself. Um, you can't change other people. The Enneagram is great for having empathy and compassion on other ways and being in the world for looking through somebody else's glasses to see what color the world looks like through their eyes. However, I can't change how I'm wired, um, but I can change what I do with how I'm wired. So what I ended up, the work that I ended up doing was not trying to change her, but was actually trying to become a healthier version of myself so that I had room for other ways of doing things that were not my way. And doing that work really did, I think it broadened our connection. Eventually I gained her trust. You know, we we never became best friends or anything like that, but you know, the time that we did spend working together, we found a way to work together and, and create good work together. And um, that was really helpful. I, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't found the Enneagram. I think I would just been really stressed and anxious every single day at work. Oh, I, I can definitely imagine. So out of, out of all that, what, what I think are some of the big takeaways here, first of all, don't type other people, (laughs) right? Because you don't know what their, what their motivations are, what their wounds are. Cause if they're wounds, you probably don't know them unless you were already close enough for them to have shared those with you. So really walking away, knowing, you know, when it comes to Enneagram, just typing yourself, Mm -hmm. this is about you. And the third thing to come out of this is you can utilize this as a way to not necessarily change who you are, but begin to change some of the ways that you react to things because you begin to understand where Mm -hmm. some of those reactions um, were coming from, whether it was from a place of fear or worry or those 
as you said, the, those rose colored glasses or black colored glasses or brown colored glasses or whatever mm-hmm. color your glasses might be, that you're seeing things yeah. from a different filter based on your own past history and what certain action sequences meant for you historically, right? So beginning to understand that you can make some shifts yourself. So this isn't about changing other people. Knowing the Enneagram is knowing how to be better about you moving through the world in a way that, Mm -hmm. that then will create better ways of communicating. It sounds like with other people. Yes. Can I, can I give you a quick example of one, one way that, yeah, please. Absolutely. Okay. So one thing this boss used to do is she just asked me a lot of questions and I would be assigned a project I'd work on the project. I'd bring the project to her and she would just have all these questions for me. And how I used to interpret that was she didn't trust me. She didn't trust me to do my work. Um, she wanted to hear every single thought that I had going into this. And then she would bring, you know, 10 other ways of doing things. Like I hadn't thought about them before. However, I knew that she's really thorough. And so I made, man, I made sure to really vet the work that I did before I would bring her the final product, you know? So I really felt like I had done the research, put in the time and here's my final product and it's my final product for a reason. So after learning Enneagram and talking to people who lived that, that way, who were the same similar type, I would say, um, as, as her and getting some insight on why, why would somebody ask me all these questions if, if they say they trust, me, right. you know? So I learned that inside this type's brain, there is their wound is that they don't think they can trust themselves somewhere along the way. They learned that they're not trustworthy. So they have to find security and safety through um, other people, processes, governments, religious systems, bosses, any kind of authority ex- outside of them. That's what brings them some security. And those systems or people outside of them have been vetted very thoroughly to be sure that they can be trusted. And then once they're trusted, they're very loyal to those systems. So when they look at the world, they look and see potential threats or dangers on the horizon, and they are trying to protect them and their people um, from any potential risks that could cause harm. And so what her questions were, were poking holes to see what what might poke through so we can create a contingency plan because it wasn't that my plan was bad. She just wanted to poke some holes to see how well it stood up, not because she didn't trust me, but because she doesn't trust anything um, to be um, secure until she's poked, poked around a little bit. And then um, because she has a hard time trusting herself, she might have a really good idea. And she might say, hey, I think I'm doing this idea. What do you think about that? And normally, because I'm trying to, you know, gain her approval, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But then um, she didn't like that. (laughs) So what I found out was she's looking for me to play devil's advocate to her idea because that helps her have a sounding board for why she thinks what she thinks. So she's trying to learn how to trust herself and trust her own ideas And so if she says, I'm thinking about this idea, what do you think? And I say, I like it. However, have you thought about A, B, or C? And then she's like, oh, well, here's why A wouldn't work. Here's why B wouldn't work. Here's why C wouldn't work. And I would not take that personally because this exercise is for her benefit more than mine, um, that she needs to talk through. She's a verbal processor. She needs to talk through 
why all the other ones wouldn't work and why her original idea actually is the best idea because she's a very analytical thinker and she can really think it through. Now, that's not how my mind works. I don't need to go through that process to get to a decision. I have a very different process that I get to a decision. However, when I started playing devil's advocate to her, she appreciated that, that it, it seemed to her that I was taking time to really consider and, and think through alongside her. And that gained some trust between wow. us. So that, that I never would have thought of that. I, I, like someone who's playing devil's advocate to me, I'm like, that's like, don't like, why don't you trust that I've already thought through this? Right. You know, but she really needed that process to be externalized and to be, and she would always ask questions to our team. You know, what does everyone think about this? And she wanted us to kind of like ping pong the, the conversation as opposed to just kind of go along with it because she doesn't trust the idea yet herself. So just, you know, that's like one small example and one conversation that I never would have known that that is a way of being in the world, that that could help provide security and support to someone. And I mean, once I learned that, I was like, oh, I can absolutely do that. And, um, and it helped our relationship, you know, I I don't know about any of the listeners right now, but I I am going to jump in at this point and go, oh my gosh, there's someone in my life who I'm now realizing is very similar to this. And I'm starting to think, okay, maybe I need to try that tactic (laughs) with them. (laughs) Uh, Because I, I really do feel like, you know, in the past when I've tried to present things, it's been that same kind of thing. Well, have you thought about this? Well, what about this? And I felt very much the same way you did. Like, hello. Yeah. Of course I've thought about all of these things and (laughs) you know, blah, blah, blah. But now it's like, okay, so this isn't about me. It's about the other person. And now as you know, this person begins to present possible alternatives for various things or their own ideas for things. It makes a lot more sense when they're asking for all of those ideas of, you know, what could be great, what could go wrong, you know, and that person isn't just looking for all the things that can go great with it, which is tends to be my focus, right? Yes. And Mm -hmm. so helping, helping them to see some of the, the negative things may actually begin to help them trust my visions in the future because they now know that I'm not just, you know, some Pollyanna <laughs> in the right, world, only right, seeing the good, right. which, you know, for those of us who are, who are like that, it's not that we don't, we don't see the negative. We just tend to go, I'm not going to give it that much credence because, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I, I think what's really cool about all of this Enneagram stuff then is really begin beginning to understand, you know, obviously who you are, how to begin to try different things with other people around you, especially as you learn about other types in the world and how they operate and all of that. Um, and knowing too specifically, Elizabeth, that the the listeners here are in the world of direct sales and network marketing. So yeah. how mm-hmm. can how can someone who's listening right now and they've got a business with doTERRA or Rodan and Fields or Pure Romance or Tupperware or Avon or, oh my gosh, we could go on forever and ever, Arbonne Juice Plus, right? Mm-hmm. How can mm-hmm. they begin to utilize this? How would you see someone um, who's running their own business with a direct sales or network marketing focus utilizing Enneagram mm-hmm. to their advantage with their business? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, really any personality can be in sales, right? So 
Um, we all have this false personality as we're working on ourselves. The false personality starts to fall away a little bit. Our coat starts to fall away and our true self, our essence, according to the Enneagram, or if you're spiritual, maybe your soul um, comes forth and you can be your truly unique self. So the work, regardless of what direct sales business you are, is you as your unique self are going to have, make the most authentic relationships when you're showing up as your essence or your soul, um, as opposed to, you know, someone with a, with a facade or a mask on. So I think it will behoove you to do some work on who are you at your essence. You're not your personality. You're actually much more than your personality. Your personality can help you make your way in the world for sure. But, um, there are also some downsides to your personality. It's kind of predictable, um, doesn't feel as authentic or real. So for example, one common um, personality trait um, for people who are in sales, they really like to meet goals. Success is really important to them. Um, so if success is really important to you and you are goal-oriented, you love checking things off your checklist, I'm betting that failure is probably scary. Um, some people who are um, tend to be the towards this type would say, Failure is not an option and you can reframe any failure into a new success. Maybe if you, you know, for example, if your, your goal is to run a 5k and you were so winded, you didn't do it. You kind of halfway through, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to change my goal to be, I'm going to run two miles instead. <laughs> um, and then you meet that goal. And so then you can check it off your list, um, you know? And so there's kind of this reframing of failure. So I guess my question would be, what happens? If you and then what happens when you're sitting there in that failure, just to sit there, there are some feelings that might come up, some uncomfortable feelings. Okay, so what happens if, if you're feeling those feelings? And it's just kind of ask yourself, what happens if this? And then keep going with that. So what happens if that? And kind of follow that chain of, of fears, um, of emotions that maybe you don't delve into. And what I've found with that is that actually facing my fear is not the end. <laughs> it, um, it sucks, but it's not the end. Right. Um, life continues beyond failure. Life continues beyond rejection, beyond um, not being competent, um, not being perfect. Life continues for people who are flawed. Um, and you can still find, you are still, as Brene would say, you are still worthy of love, belonging, and connection, even if you are failing at something. So what I have started to learn is to separate my identity from my behavior. So if you're someone who you really identify with being goal-oriented and you thrive off of creating checklists and you are great at being able to take a big, huge goal and break it into little chunks and then achieve those little goals. Um, and, and you probably kick ass doing that and building your business. But deep down inside, if you don't meet those goals, if you were to show up as your true self, sometimes people will wonder, will anybody actually want me? Will anybody actually love me? Am I really, truly worthy of love and connection and belonging, even if I don't do? Am I still worthy of those things um, beyond what I do? Um, because what I've learned is we are human beings or not human doings. <laughs> and so, you know, 
I, so I have a chronic illness, for example, I have Crohn's disease and there are a lot of days where I am very sick and I cannot do the things on my checklist. And I don't feel like I'm contributing to society. Um, I don't feel I'm doing my part Mm. and I am just existing and I feel so worthless and there's a shame. There's this feeling not good enough. That's what shame is. Shame is the, Hey, you're not, you're not good enough or you're too much or who do you think you are? That's the Mm -hmm. shame voice. So when the shame voice comes up and it's like, Hey, you're not contributing. Like, why are you even here on this, in this world? Right. Then it's a question of self-worth when we can build our platform of self-worth, when we can realize we are worthy of love because we exist and because we're human and not because of what we do, what we do is important, but it's not the end all be all. And if we stop doing those things, the world keeps going and we are still worthy. And so when you can get down to that root, you will not depend so much on meeting your goals. Goals are still important. You still need them, but your self-worth does not depend on it. So when you don't make that sale or you don't make that goal, you don't get one more person to sign up for that class your identity is still safe. The behaviors, the actions can change and fluctuate, but your identity, your self-worth is still safe. So you're eliminating some of that fear, some of that uncertainty. You're eliminating a lot of pressure on yourself (laughs) Um, to be able to exist and say, you know what? Like, yes, I have these, these sales goals that I want to have these products I'm really passionate about. I want to grow my team you know, to this size, but you know what, even if it doesn't happen, it will be okay. I will be provided for, you know, it doesn't all depend on me. Even if it does, even if you're a single income household, you know, and it does feel like it all depends on you. There's still community. We live in community. We depend on each other. I believe we were created to be independent. Unfortunately, I wish we could all be independent truly, but unfortunately, and fortunately, we are dependent beings, interdependent, where we have to rely on each other. And there's a richness that comes from building community, building trust, building intimacy and relationships with all of the nine types, because everyone has strengths that I don't have. Everyone has weaknesses where I can come in alongside someone and, and let them, you know, lend them a shoulder, lend them an, an arm. And so I think being aware of ourselves helps us also appreciate the other that we don't have to be everything our own self that's way too much pressure we're going to buckle under that we're going to have we're going to burn out we're going to fail and and then not be able to come back from that it's going to be a lot of years of therapy so you know if we can um take small steps of implementing rest implementing play implementing some of those those factors that seem to take away from your productivity at work. However, Brene also teaches how rest and play actually makes you more efficient and more productive. If your self-worth is not at stake, you can take a breather. You can take a minute for some fun. You can take a minute for some rest, for some sleep. Goodness, like go get some sleep. Um, So, you know, those are some things that you know, if you do some work on, Hey, what are my fears? What are my goals? Where am I getting stuck in my business? Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes 
getting stuck shows us that it's not that we need to strive harder and harder and harder. We need to work longer hours because actually there's kind of a cap on our productivity. Um, when we're really tired, we're not going to book one more sale. We're, we're just going to burn out. So, um, you know, there's a book called burnout. It talks about living, um, completing the stress cycle. And, um, also the body keeps the score talks about living with stress and trauma in your body. And how do we help our bodies process those things? You know, when we're trying to meet our goals and, and, um, and build a business, sometimes that seems like it's the only thing that exists, but, um, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called try softer, um, because I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform and the idea of that we are feeling, we are thinking beings, we are doing beings, but our bodies also need to process a lot of things. And if we're just grinding all day and all night, we're actually in the long run, not the most productive. We're not going to be the most present for our loved ones. So the Enneagram, the goal of the Enneagram is to provide balance. And so there are so many ways you can use the Enneagram, not just by learning your type. Every type has energy they take on from where they go in stress and security. You can share energies with different numbers. There are certain patterns. So for my type, um, I'm really bad at saying no to people, <laughs> but when I'm stressed, um, I'm really good at saying no to people while well, I'm channeling some energy of yeah. a different number. Um, that really helps me survive. Um, I'm also tend to be more outwardly focused on other people's needs. Um, however, sometimes I need to focus on my own needs. So I have to really channel the energy of a different number. That's more inwardly focused. They're really creative and thoughtful. And I need to, when I need to take care of myself, I have to go there. So that's kind of the pattern of my number in stress and security. If you look at the Enneagram image, there's a bunch of arrows where all the numbers seem to be interconnected because they are, they are connected. So while we still always keep our core type, our core fears and, and desires that remain our, our same motivation, we can channel energies from other numbers, which brings the balance, which means that we can appreciate how other people are being in the world. It's not wrong. It's different. And it actually might bring some balance. I love that. So yeah, it, the Enneagram, it sounds like is while we don't want to type others, but be, by beginning to understand what the our own type is, how we interact with other types, what our strengths, weaknesses are, our fears, our motivators, is really going to help someone who's in the direct sales world to, number one, begin to understand themselves and really pull from what their motivators are. So if you're sitting there wondering, why is it that I can't get motivated to do whatever? Well, if you've been pulling yeah. from the wrong motivator because you think as a direct salesperson, you should be going for the trip or going for the car yeah. or going for the promotion or going for whatever, right? Whatever that may be. And it's, and you're still not doing the work. It's because you're using the wrong motivator, right? And so by understanding who you are, you can begin to understand how to motivate yourself and be more self-driven in the way that you need to be through understanding those things. And then as you learn the other types, when you begin to have conversations with your team members, for example, you can begin to understand how you can help them, you know, and, and again, 
create a community, not just have a team of, you know, you and your people, but now we're all a community stepping in to say, okay, Jenny's good at this. Elizabeth is good at, is good at this. Susie is good at this. So we're all going to help each other by doing what we're good at for each other and with each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of saying, well, you're all on your own. And if you suck in that area, too bad for you. <laughs> yeah. Just work harder. Just, just work harder, yeah, Jenny. Yeah, Just do, just do more of that thing that you suck at. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so I'm sure by now the, the listener is thinking to themselves, okay, this is great. I've heard of Enneagram. Now I have a better understanding of it. And now I want to know more about me. Um, one of the things you've offered and thank you so much for this generous offer is for anyone who's a listener of the badass drug sales mastery podcast is able to go to Elizabeth's website. And we did put the link in the show notes. So all of, you know, grab your phone, unless you're driving, grab your phone, open up the podcast episode, scroll to the show notes and go to Elizabeth's website. You can go click on the rapid typing session consultation that she has open uh, available on her website. And then in the booking section, when you send, when you book your time with Elizabeth, make sure you use the word badass in your booking and you are going to get $20 off of your Uh, booking fee, which normally is 45. And now you're only going to pay 25 to learn more about yourself and how you can be more effective in your business by understanding who you are, where you come from, what your fears are, how you operate under stress, where you flourish in life. She's going to be able to help you find all of this out in that typing session. So please make sure you go click on that right now. Or like I said, if you're driving, wait till you get to where you're going or pull over Mm -hmm. and do it. So you don't forget and just make sure you use the term badass in the booking comment section. So that way she knows to give you that wonderful $20 off. So yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for that completely super generous offer for all of the listeners of the Badass Truck Sales Mastery Podcast. And you're, I really appreciated getting to know more about the Enneagram because like I said, I first heard about it 18 months ago and I was like, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm a disc girl, right? I'm a disc girl, whatever. And then when I had my own Enneagram typing session that was eye-opening, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> really and truly eye-opening to go, oh, oh, that explains a lot. Oh, that explains a lot. Oh, <laughs> even more like that, because again, yeah. it's, it's a, it's addressing different things. Every personality yeah. typing has its own place in the world and how you can utilize it. I'm now beginning to see disc can be kind of like a sledgehammer in the world. It's, mm. it's, or a, a maybe not a sledgehammer, a giant paintbrush. It's like a paint Mm -hmm. roller, right? You get Mm -hmm. big, broad strokes, lots, you know, lots of generic general information. This Enneagram is really more about what's deep inside. And this, I think, is what's really going to make a big difference uh, for people who work with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and um, it's really just the beginning to find your type, um, like you said. And um, I have other opportunities. I do some workshops. I'm working on a workshop in series for February and March. Yay! Um, and then, um, so that will be on my website when that's posted and ready to go. And then, um, on my website as well, you'll also see, I have packages. If you're interested in going deeper, um, you can learn how to use the Enneagram in leadership in the workplace in relationships. 
Um, I do couples, <laughs> couple sessions if you're interested in that, but nice. um, yeah, just, you know, one, okay, Jenny, I was going to ask you this. What is one takeaway that you had maybe from your typing session or something that you learned about your way of being in the world? Ooh, okay. For me, I'd have to say it was interesting because it did help me begin to identify my how I interact with others and why I do it in the way that I do it. Cause mm-hmm. I really can come in surprise, surprise, no one who's been listening for any amount of time or anybody who knows me on a personal level, I come in big, bold, hello, this is who I am. I will, if there's no one else in the room who's taking charge, I will be the person leading that room, whatever it is, whatever's going on. Um, it, you know, to me, beginning to understand all of that was a big help to know, okay, so maybe taking a back seat every once in a while is going to be handy to let others step up and, and shine and, and all of those things. But really it's just been eye opening to, to get those, those underlying things, like where that came from, because, yeah, you know, I, I just didn't get those things. Well, and that's a lot of pressure too. I mean, I'm sure you know, it sounds like you really enjoy showing up and, and taking charge and, and being a leader. But, you know, there are some times where, you know, even leaders get exhausted <laughs> and it would be nice if someone else, you know, would step up. And so, um, you know, it's a lot of pressure when you feel like, well, I'm the one who has to do it, you know, but you don't actually, you don't have to, you're probably the first to jump up, but there might be somebody else in the room who enjoys leading, but they're not going to be the first to jump up, but they'll do it and they will do it in a good way. And then you can get a break. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And let me tell you, hearing that, and, and certainly during my typing session, that that did come up and I was like, oh my gosh, because I think one of the things that um, would probably surprise some of the listeners. So get ready, guys. You're about to learn something about your direct sales dom. I'm a direct sales dom in business. When I'm at home in my own personal life, I am way more submissive because mm-hmm. I'm done making decisions at the end of the day. Like I, you know, I'm decision maker as mom, I'm decision maker in my business. I'm a decision maker in um, a lot of the networking stuff that I do, the groups that I'm a part of. And so by the time I get to the end of the day, I'm done. I'm done and I will relinquish control to a leader who has shown themselves to be worthy of that. Right. But that's the key. They, you know, right. and it's, it's taken me, they have to have your respect. Yeah. It's, it's taken me 40 plus years to find someone who is ready and willing to take over in that. So now I've got time when I can completely lay back. So, you know, it's, you know, direct, I had this conversation with one of my clients who's in pure romance. So you guys get to hear a little bit more about me, direct sales, dumb in the streets, sub yeah. in the sheets, <laughs> you know? And I think that's a, th- that's an important thing to understand about myself and for people, it's okay for people to know that about me. It's like, Oh my God. Oh, people might know that I'm a little bit submissive. Holy shit. What, what, you know, and it, you know, three years ago, there's no way I would have let anybody know that. No way. And so mm-hmm. beginning to let people in and see that, no, I'm not always this person who's pushing, driving, moving, doing whatever, and always being the decision maker. Sometimes I am the person who says, okay, nope, you're the expert in that. You're going to make the decision on that. And I'm going to do whatever you tell me. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's really nice to be able to do that. Yeah. But it really took me understanding that about myself before I was able to to let that go. So, well, Elizabeth, it has been 
so awesome having you on the show. I, I you know, I am so excited because um, I'm also inviting you. I want, you, I would love for you to share this on my summit, which is happening in March to be able to let m- even more people know how they can utilize this, how they can work with you to begin to understand and and really take their business forward by understanding themselves in this way. So thank you so much for your time, Elizabeth. I really, truly appreciate it. And I know my listeners do as well. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Jenny. Absolutely. And listener, you know how this goes. Stay tuned because there's another badass episode on the way. Thanks for listening to the Badass Direct Sales Mastery Podcast with your direct sales dom, Jenny Bellinger. Why are you waiting to go to BadassDirectSalesMastery.com? Don't make the dom get her whip. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with another rock star that you know in direct sales after you subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. You can also check out the show notes for links and any contact information mentioned in today's episode. We'll see you next time.